for those of you that don't know us, uh, my name is Chris. This is my wife, Carol, and we serve in Harrisburg. Um, we have a ministry there called Fruitful Life uh, Ministries, and um, it's kind of a three-part uh, expression that God has given us uh, to serve in that community. One uh, part of, of the ministry is involves uh, coaching in the community, life coaching. In fact, uh, my wife and I have been serving in a women's shelter uh, there, and we've also worked in an un unemployment center. And uh, we're starting to make connections with other like-minded organizations. In fact, uh, just this past week, we were in a, uh, it's a meeting that's held every other month in Allison Hill, which is one of the uh, most uh, uh, crime-ridden areas of Harrisburg. And we'd meet there every other month with various uh, ministries, groups, organizations uh, to really, to really uh, deal with the issue of homelessness in the community. And um, we're also, God has helped us to make connections with a, uh, with a group over here on the, on the West Shore uh, called Partnership of Hope. We've been asked to serve on the board uh, of that particular ministry. Um, they're involved in really supplying um, the felt needs uh, uh, of the community and communities like Harrisburg or uh, surrounding areas where there's a need for to help people to not only find a home but actually to get uh, the basic supplies they need, furnishings and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> every, basics. the basics of life. Um, they work with several organizations that kind of have pulled their efforts together, or as one group is able to get uh, furniture and things like that from uh, from hotels and and retail outlets and things like that. Another group uh, has a warehouse, and then there are other groups that can supply um, uh, on the ground uh, counseling and help for families. And so we've all kind of come together to pull our efforts together to really uh, make more of an impact, that thing, be more effective when you work together than all trying to operate in separate silos and separate efforts. And so we've been asked to serve on that board and we were there for our first board meeting <laughs> this past Thursday uh, with Partnership for Hope. Um, and so that's one aspect of uh, fruitful life that we're uh, touching the community through life coaching and uh, through felt needs and homelessness and, and all of those issues. Uh, the other aspect of Fruitful Life is, uh, is uh, uh, what we call the Fruitful Life Learning Center. Uh, it's a very interesting name to have for your church, uh, but uh, we felt like the Lord wanted us to name the ministry, that, uh, that part of the ministry, the Learning Center, because uh, so much is really not understood about the purpose of the, of the church and, um, and, and what the Lord really wants us to do. Uh, in really effectively um, ministering in the Harrisburg uh, region. The Learning Center is more about uh, equipping and empowering leaders uh, to really um, allow their hearts and their homes to be rebuilt and restored and renewed. Uh, there's lots of efforts been made for a lot of years, a lot of years in Harrisburg and inner city regions uh, across the country a lot of effort has been made to try to change things through education, change things through economics, change things through politics. Uh, but what the Lord put on our heart when we came here 13 years ago, we were sent to Harrisburg, uh, uh, part of a church plant. The Lord told us to start with the rebuilding and restoring and the renewing of hearts. 
and the rebuilding or restoring or renewing of homes. You don't take on this battle by trying to do it through politics and educations and, uh, and, and business and economics. Even though all of those things are important, you can do all of those things for an individual, for a family, for a household, a household for a neighborhood, and that family still falls apart. That neighborhood still falls apart. Why? And that is because husbands still have to be taught how to love their wives and stay committed and faithful to their children. Wives still have to understand what it really means to reverence and submit to your husband. Children, boy, children, really do have to be taught how to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother <laughs> so that your days may be long. <laughs> we still have to be taught to put in an honest day's work for honest pay. Employers still have to be taught to treat their employees fairly. And so God told us to come into the city and to deal with the issues from the place of every individual heart and every individual home. Yeah, and that's different. Uh, and even though we're not involved in the political marches, we're not constantly beating down the doors of the Harrisburg School District trying to get them to change policies. And all of those things are important. You know, change your policies. We, we understand the issues of the special interest groups that have come into our school systems and now our children know more about sex education than they do about reading, writing, and arithmetic. I understand all of those issues, but those are issues that must be dealt with in the heart and in the home. And I understand that every home is not the same. Everybody doesn't have a two-parent family, and, uh, and homes aren't all together. There's a lot of division and strife, lots of divorce and separation, lots of uh, kids who are being raised by their mom or by their grandmother or by an aunt, or in, they're in foster care. Um, and it's at an epidemic level, just for African Americans alone. You know, back in 1965, 25% of African American children were born to unwed mothers. By 2015, it is 75%. 75%. That's how, that's how incredibly uh, uh, downwardly things have gone. But those are issues, those are not, and I know sometimes you like to put those things in the category of social issues. That's a nice, polite way of uh, kind of uh, uh, minimizing it and just, you know, that's somebody else's problem. Yeah, yeah, lay, yeah, yeah, make it, yeah, make it a nice little tidy subject and statistic that you put off in a corner somewhere. But really, those are matters of the heart. Those are matters of the heart. Those are matters of things that have to change in individual hearts and individual homes. And it's really something when the Lord tells you to, I mean, our ministry, our church started such a long, you know, not as long as the barn has been here, but we started in 2004, um, in the fall of 2004. And if we took the first few months uh, of just trying to build leaders, uh, trying to train people, uh, the, uh, our, you know, the folks that came here with us as well as the folks first set of people that started attending our church. And our goal right from the beginning was to raise up leaders who could uh, 
really effectively lead in their own household first before we talk about getting on the school board and before we talk about getting you know into the community and helping at Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of the things that we can do to help out in the neighborhood first of all let's get some leadership in the household I know that for Carol and I we've been married for going on 37 years yay <laughs> And we have three adult sons. Uh, our oldest son is 31 years old. His name is Christopher. He and his wife, Antoinette, live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, been married for two years. We also have twin sons, uh, Jonathan and David. Uh, they are 27 years old now. Jonathan lives in York. Uh, and, uh, and David, his younger brother, is married for four years, his wife, Michelle, and they live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where we have, they've, a year ago, they gave birth to our first granddaughter, Robin. <laughs> We're still very proud of that. And if you ever ask us, we, uh, the pictures are readily available on the phone. <laughs> readily available on the phone, <laughs> including videos. <laughs> Which, by the way, Robin took her first steps a couple of months ago. So yeah, we have to show you those pictures. <laughs> you have, you have to, we have to show you those videos, too. <laughs> Um, but we learned as we were raising our children that we could not depend upon the local church to supply our sons what they needed. We can depend upon the children's ministry to give our children what they needed. Children's ministry is supposed to be there to supplement what's already going on in the home. When you try to put the responsibility of, of um, getting children saved and discipled upon the local church, you're headed for disaster. You're absolutely headed for disaster. And I can say that uh, with evidence, not only personal evidence, but statistical evidence. Children that are raised in, quote, raised in the church by the time they're 18 years old, 88% of them leave the church and don't come back, 88%. What's wrong with that statistic? Because too many families, moms and dads, left it up to the church. When I say church, I mean children's workers, children's pastor, youth pastor, singles ministry, young adult ministry leaders to raise their children and nurture them in the things of God. That's a responsibility of parents. So for us, we did not depend upon the church, the children's ministry, the teen ministry, the young adult ministry to give our sons what they needed. We had to give them what they needed. One of the things that we did was just a, a weekly family time. Even in the midst of the video games and television, and our children were born in the 90s. Uh, Chris was born in 86. The twins were born in 90. So they were 90s kids, raised in the 90s with all of the explosion of cable TV and BET and MH1, remember those, and VH1, I'm trying to think of all those, MTV, all of that stuff was exploding and coming on the scene. And 
and Sega and PlayStation, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, Sega Genesis, Xbox, all of that stuff was just pouring out. It was coming forth. Uh, and so uh, our children were impacted by it just like anybody else. And we had to set boundaries just like anybody else. Uh, that's just, I don't know if you had anything. <laughs> so um, I remember uh, when the rap music was exploding, well, coming on the scene, uh, those were the years. All of that stuff was coming out in what they used to call gangster rap. Uh, and in, in the music styles, I didn't, we didn't care for. In fact, my wife and I were youth pastors over the teen ministry. Isn't that something to hear the pastors of the teen ministry say to parents? Don't depend upon us to raise your children to give you give them what they need. That's not our job. That's your job. We're here to supplement what you're supposed to be doing in the home. We're here to repeat what you're supposed to be saying to them at home. Then when they come to youth ministry, we're just repeating what parents are saying. And so <laughs> it's really something. I know that it may feel a little weird. How could you guys be youth pastors? And you told the people, you told parents, it's not your job to raise their kids, and it's true. It's not. It's not our job. And uh, what was I saying, man? I, I was. Well, <laughs> I'm saying so many things, uh, but we we had to depend upon. Uh, we really the emphasis is on parents taking the responsibility for the raising of their children, no matter what age that they are children, teenagers, in their young adult years. We took on the responsibility. So we met with our own kids every every week. Uh, we had our own we had a family hour. Uh, I think we, we did it on Thursday nights. Um, and then there were, then we switched it to Fridays as they got older. And we would all we would, I, I put everybody in the car and let's go out to, out to dinner. Let's go to a restaurant and just sit down and talk. And you may say, how was that? How's that a big deal? It's a big deal when your kids hit their teenage years that mom and dad take the time once a week to we're going to go out and sit down at a restaurant and we're going to eat and talk. Find out what's, what's going on, how are things going at school, what's going on, what are you thinking, uh, laughing, joking. Uh, and those are the times you get a chance to spot the, mute, the mood changes and what's going on in your son or your daughter's heart. Because when you sit at the table, there's something unique about when a family sits down at the table together. Rather, it's in the house or in a restaurant. Your children, uh, uh, if something's going on, it's going to be on their face. It's going to be in their eyes. And a lot of times, parents are missing that because they don't have this regular time of connecting with their children. And so you're now, which means now you're trusting that the youth pastor is going to make that connect, is going to catch it. And the youth pastor is not going to catch it. There's 20, 30, 40 teenagers. They're not necessarily going to catch it. And even if they do, they don't have the time. We can say that as having been, a youth, been youth pastors. They don't have the time with so many children, so many young people, to always stop and catch the kid whose mood has changed. Yeah, and even when we did catch it, I don't know why the Lord's taking us this direction. This isn't on the script. This isn't even in my notes. <laughs> that's why I said all that to say that's why we believe that the strategy that the Lord has given us in Harrisburg 
is about raising up leaders in the home, moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles. You know, there's this phrase that's often said in the today, uh, and the world uses it a lot. The liberals, the liberals use this phrase a lot. They say it, it takes a village to raise a child. So anybody heard that phrase? It takes a village. And I kind of push back against that statement because I understand what they mean. It's an African proverb, but that proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, is based upon the assumption that the family is intact. Because it's assuming that the village is made up of strong households. But when you don't have strong households, then the village is made up of bullies and predators. <laughs> People that don't mean our children any good. Various social agendas and mindsets. That's what the village is made up of. So when they come forth and say, it takes a village, well, I want to know who's in the village. <laughs> I want to know what the village, what village are you talking about? Because now the village is the internet. The village is Snapchat and Instagram, of which we are seeing teenagers committing suicide because of the level of bullying that's taking place in their village. Wow. Boy, I didn't mean to get into all of this, but Lord, you're up to something. Uh, so that's been the, the emphasis that the Lord has given us these, all of these years that we've been serving in Harrisburg. The equipping and empowering of leaders, starting with heads of households. So one of the things that we're doing now is we're actually training. Every Friday night, we meet in our home uh, with folks who have meetings in their own homes with their families on Sunday mornings. How many of you know that for many people in this day and hour, there are some people who have experienced church hurt at such a level that they can't go into a church right now. They, they just can't. They cannot go into a church building anywhere. They don't feel safe there. And in the inner city, in urban communities like Harrisburg and across the country, it's, that's, uh, that's very real. It's very real pain um, when there are church leaders who are pedophiles. Everything from pastors to deacons and, and everybody knows, but nobody really talks about it. So there are people that have left those churches and left those places and they don't feel safe anywhere. And so the Lord pulled this switch on us by having us to close down our building and start meeting in the home. And something happened. God brought us across the path of a couple of other people. And one was a pastor who God made, had to close down their building and start meeting with people in the home. Wow, that may sound a little weird because when you hear those words, home church, house church, those of us who have been in 
facilities like this, it feels a real little strange to us, but it really shouldn't because when we read the book of Acts, that's what the church was. They met in homes. It wasn't until 300 years later um, that they started meeting in buildings and calling the building a church. That's the history. We didn't get start, they didn't start calling buildings churches till 300 years after the birth of the church. Because up until then, remember when Paul wrote his letters, he would say, say hello to the church in so-and-so's house. To the church in that house, meaning the people that are meeting in that house. And um, so the Lord has taken us back to that. And what we are learning now is that that is an incredible strategy from God. We didn't come up with that. We can't take credit for that. That was not in our plans. When we came here 13 years ago, it was not in our plans to start meeting in homes with people and ministering there. We were thinking God's going to put us in a building and it's going to grow and explode. And 10 years later, there'll be thousands of people coming to our church, being ministered to in the inner city of Harrisburg. And what God did was he put us in the workaday world. We worked for the state, both of us did, for nine years. And God let us get a real feel and real exposure to what's going on in that city. He put us on state jobs. He put me in a prestigious position. I worked in the press office for the Department of Education, working directly with the governor's office. God put me in a position to really see and to hear what's really going on. I worked for a, for a, Democratic, a Democrat governor, then I worked for a Republican governor, and then when Wolf came in, uh, they let all of us go a clean house, but I've had a chance to work for both parties, and I can now stand here and tell you there is very little difference in how things are done from one party to the next. I'm telling you what I know. They would take the same programs, both parties do it, they take the same programs that are being run by one party and they just give it a different name, repackage it and rebrand it and put it out there. Yeah, and so while we're distracted about Republicans versus Democrats and conservatives versus liberals, families and lives are falling apart and God is calling his church, his church to step out away from all of that battle and all of that fight and let's get into the business, <laughs> the true business of the kingdom. Occupy and do business until he comes. Well, what's the business of the kingdom? Well, all these hurting hearts and homes who really don't care who's in the governor's mansion, who really don't care who's the mayor, who really don't care who's in the White House. All they know is, um, is I'm hurting. I don't have a place to live, or if I do have a place to live, I don't have a job, I'm not connected, I've been abused, just numbers and numbers of lists of things that cross ethnic barriers, crosses age groups, crosses gender. 
All they know is that I'm hurting and I need help. And going to church is not safe. And so God opened up this whole new ministry for us of creating a safe place for people to come. Isn't that amazing? And the safe place happens to be the same safe place that was established in the book of Acts, meeting in the home. Wow. Now, we're not speaking against meeting corporately. In fact, that's still in our heart's desire. One of the things that we plan to do is all of these home groups to meet in a big building. Occasionally, let's all get together and hear the word of the Lord together, worship together, get direction together, and then go back into our safe places where we can get the one-on-one nurturing and help and teaching and instruction and building up that's necessary. Wow. Now, to that end, here's what I would believe that the Lord is really speaking to us in this day and in this time. A few years ago, I, I, I wanted to send this want ad out, uh, and I never did. Uh, and I think one day I probably will, just waiting for the time to release this want ad. Listen to this. Wanted. People who are ready to change the culture, embrace their purpose, and live with passion. We're looking, we're looking to connect with people who are prepared to answer the call to express the kingdom of God, his power, priorities, provision, plan, and purpose to express that in the kingdom of God in real life situations and circumstances. What a want had. Anybody ready to respond? <laughs> then it says, you know, I'm, when you, when you read a want ad, then they give you the requirements for the job. List to the requirements. Must be ready to forsake personal fame and glory and live for something greater than yourself. I look forward to actually one day posting this want ad in the Patriot News in Harrisburg. Not to call people to join another church and organization, but to call people into the kingdom of God. No more busy church work. Anybody agree with me? No more, no more busy church work. There is enough work in all of our individual households. Just think about your family right now. Thinking about your, think about your life circumstance and situation right now. I don't need any busy church work. Don't need it. I find it interesting that in our, uh, in our particular group that meets on Friday nights, the majority is women, are women. Um, in every, almost, really, really, every single one of them uh, has divorce and separation in their background, in their life. That's part of their story. And we're watching as God has me and Carol, we're, we're going through a training that we call Ready Responders to Rescue. We're, we're, we're training them to be ready responders. We found it interesting how one, during one of the trainings, Carol and I just started talking about the dynamics between men and women. The way men think and the way women think. You go, what would this have to do 
with becoming a ready responder that this couple would start, and, and we've told it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't part of the notes, it wasn't even part of the plan training. We just started talking about the dynamics between men and women, the way men process life, and the way women process life. And after we finished going through all of that, one of the women said, you just solved the issue in my marriage. Now I know what happened. Why is that important? Why am I sharing that with you? Because many are, are wanting to reach out to family, but they're stuck. They're stuck with the, I don't know what happened, the unresolved issues in my life. And I need preparation. I need to be able to go through a safe place. Here they are meeting in our house, and she had the freedom to say, can you imagine that? Someone who's been divorced having the freedom to say out loud, now I know what happened. Why is that necessary? Because now that I know what happened, now I'm no longer stuck there, and now I can move forward. Here's another one. Now she can impart wisdom and insight to other women, and it won't come from a place of bitterness. It won't come from a place of hurt. It won't come from a place of confusion. It won't come from a place of unresolved issues that I really don't know how to answer your questions. I've discovered in ministry that a whole lot of us pastors like myself, we're still, we still got so many unanswered and unresolved stuff that even though we have degrees in theology and Bible instruction, we don't know how to press past the unresolved stuff. We're still struggling with the unanswered questions. Anybody ever thought, ever been afraid to, I know this is one for me, ever been afraid to take on youth ministry because you're scared those young people will ask me something that I have the same question. One of the best things that helped us when we were youth pastors was that dynamic because you know young people will ask questions. And so working with young people and young adults forced us to start seeking the answers for, not for the kids, for ourselves, so that we could with confidence lead them and disciple them. So whatever are the challenges that you're facing right now, the questions that are still there that are kind of unresolved, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to come into that room and, and no longer just kind of live life hoping nobody ever asks me that? <laughs> God is kind of moving us in this direction now of getting to the stuff that we're afraid to actually face up to get to the stuff that we really kind of just want to live uh, floating over it. You know, it's like, I want to live at 30,000 feet. You know, when you're in an airplane and they're flying at 30,000 feet, you look down at the ground and everything looks so neat and organized, doesn't it? The planet looks awesome from 30,000 feet. And imagine, you know, and we've seen the pictures that were taken from the moon and all that of the earth. The earth looks awesome from that far away. And so we like to live life that way. <laughs> Keep our distance from what's really going on. But that is not what Jesus 
presented to us. That's the whole wonder of the gospel, that God sent his son. He could have stayed in heaven, removed from it, but he came and got down with us, thus showing us the pattern for our lives, that we don't have to live distant from the issues, distant from the experiences that we have had that the Holy Spirit can take us right back into the very moment that it happened. And instead of it overwhelming us, now he can heal us. But it all started for us with the Lord totally changing us and said that's not going to happen in the corporate setting. The corporate setting has its necessary, has its need, has its place the corporate setting, but for the healing that we're talking about, that we must live and walk in, we need the safe environment. And your family needs the safe environment. So what am I getting at? As we're coming up on the holiday season, and some of you are going to be inviting family and friends over for Thanksgiving and then Christmas and this wonderful season that's coming up, uh, I would encourage you to start preparing your household for some honest conversation. Well, nobody's going to want to talk about all that stuff. They're just going to, you know, look at the football games and and we're going to play games and watch movies and all of that. And just, I'm, at a, I'm at a place now where it's time for us to stop doing what we've always done. Was it Albert Einstein who said, you know, to keep doing what you've, keep repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? That's insanity. So I want to stop the insanity. Here's what we really do. Every holiday season, many of us, we'll play a movie. And in the movie, there, there's all kinds of family issues and family problems and couples going through all kinds of things in the movie. And so we'll live it out in the moment watching the movie together. But then we won't come from the movie and say, let's talk about what we just looked at. Because that's happening in our family. Anybody want to talk about that? Well, if you guys want, I'll talk about it first. Why am I saying that? Because that's true ministry. We don't have to get a bullhorn and set up a PA system and a stage on the streets. In fact, we found out that that type of ministry is not working anymore either. We're in a different season in America. The open air meetings and having, a, you know, let's, let's, let's uh, take all of our equipment from the church and let's go out on the streets. The way our country is now, people are just like, I don't, they don't, they don't need any more thrilling moments. They're not looking for a thrilling moment. They're not looking for the big expression. See, because many of us in this room, we have grown up with ministry being big and explosive and, you know, Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and Catherine Kuhlman. And we saw stadiums filled with thousands of people and spectacular. And then we moved into the 90s with, with Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagen. And, and now we've got people that are on satellite television all over the world and 50,000 people's stadiums and special effects and everything. And the world is like... This means nothing. Things are so messed up now that even the world is telling on themselves. 
they're exposing all of the mess that's been going on in Hollywood behind the scenes. They're telling this on each other. Anybody have been watching social media? In the new, things are so messed up now, they're telling on each other. Why am I saying this? Because we've reached a generation where no one is impressed by the outward anymore. So trying to hold the big meetings and the special press conferences and all of that stuff, now the average citizen, and especially the next generation, the 30-year-olds and the 20-year-olds, they're not impressed by it at all. Even the music industry is suffering, guys. The big production companies and all that stuff, they're all failing. Even the kids won't even buy the records and the music anymore. They'll just go and watch it on YouTube. And they go, why, why? Why get up and spend 50 bucks to go pay to watch somebody sing for a couple of hours when I can just download it? So nobody is looking for, or hardly anybody is looking for the big, huge experience. What they want is reality. And wouldn't it be something for them to experience that reality with mom and dad, with cousin and auntie and uncle and grandma and grandpa, where he actually sit down and say, hey guys, I just want to talk to you about something. I should have talked about this years and years ago. Let me tell you about our family tree. Let me tell you about grandma and grandpa. It's not going to be good. I'm not, I'm not just dishing out family dirt, but I want you to understand why you struggle with some of the feelings that you have and the things that you're going through. I should have done this a long time ago. I know I haven't been the, right, the type of parent that I should have been, but let me tell you about my childhood. I'm not telling you as an excuse, but then if you understand better how I was raised, then maybe you'll understand why I raised you the way I did. Those are the kinds of reality that people must have, that our family members must have now. They need those types of talks where you're not making an excuse for yourself, but you're just saying, let me tell you my story. And then maybe you can understand a little bit better what's been going on between me and you. And I apologize. I'm, I'm not making any, it's going to take that level of reality. I'm not making excuses for the decisions that I made and the choices that I made. But let me tell you why I made them at that time. Then it's no longer a movie. It's not a scene in a movie that they're craving and wishing it'll happen to me. Now it's real. And it's my own mom, my own dad, it's my grandparents, it's my cousin who's now giving me a real moment. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit will be right there because that's the kind of moment that the Lord gave us when we got saved. Don't you remember? He became real. Suddenly this thing about Jesus was real. And this is what our families are looking for. They need us to be real like that. Because right now the enemy is telling them that you're fake and you're a hypocrite, that you're a phony. Here's the reason why they feel like we're phony, because you never talk about 
You never talk about your life. You never talk about your decisions. You never expose the stuff that you went through. And we're thinking sometimes, well, the reason why I didn't want to expose you all of that is because I really didn't really see a need for all of that. And some of us, our background is this. Well, I don't want to boast and brag about myself. And if I talk about myself, it feels like I'm boasting. Some of you have been actually raised that way. Never talk about yourself. But here's what the word of the Lord says in Revelation. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. And what's the rest? The word of their testimony. There are things that you and I are trying to overcome in our families. And it's got to be overcome by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of our testimony. We need to tell our kids, tell our cousins, tell our relatives, our families, our story. Don't be ashamed. God gave me this little song many years ago. It says, I'm not ashamed of my story because my story brings him glory. His grace is written in the pages to be proclaimed throughout the ages. I'm not ashamed of my story because my story brings him glory. It's not a private testimony because I'm a living letter for the Lord. Don't you want to be a living letter? Come on, just bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Come on, tell the Lord, Lord, I received this word. I received this word. We've been having some really honest dialogue and conversation um, with some people that God has brought into our lives on the issues of reconciliation, particularly racial reconciliation in this community and in this country. And I am so thankful, Carol and I are so thankful for meeting family like you. And now there are others that God is joining us to who really get it, who really get it. One of our conversations that we just had this week, we were sitting in a coffee shop in downtown Harrisburg. And uh, this one brother, he, uh, he's, he's he was referring to the issue of what some of you have heard this term, white privilege, and what it is. And, and it, even that phrase has caused a lot of tension and division and confusion as to what it really is and why that phrase is used. And, and, uh, and I, I said to him, I said, I, I've had a number of white brothers say to me, and, and that's true, said, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I had to work hard. My parents had to work hard to get to where we are. I went to school. I had to work three and four jobs. I had to just, so nobody handed this to me. I wasn't privileged. I had to work. And so I said to him in response, I said, I totally understand and agree. I said, but but you must understand that while your father and grandfathers were working, 
my father and my grandfathers were turned away from those jobs and those opportunities. And by the time the opportunities came, you were already way ahead. That's what we're talking about. We're not denying the fact that you had to work to get what you got. But we're saying, but at the time that that process had begun for you, my people were being turned away. When, by the time the opportunities came, your families were already up and going and moving. And what has come now, combined with the government stepping in with welfare, that destroyed much of the effort that forefathers had been building toward. This was not the dream of Dr. King that the government would take care of us. And so the lie that the enemy perpetrates in this time, here's the narrative that the enemy uses to keep us divided. He says to white, to all of our white brothers and sisters, he says, while you were working and while you are working, these people are taking your money and they're living off of your labor. They're living off of your taxes. Isn't that the lie? He says, you're doing all the work, they're getting all, of the, all the benefit of your work. When the truth is, when the truth is, the enemy has come in and destroyed black and brown families and poor white families and poor Asian families, poor Latino families under the pretense of helping, it handicapped through gentrification, some of you have heard that phrase, because I remember growing up for my parents, my dad was able to get a factory job. Uh, my mom went to school, became, a, became an, uh, uh, an LPN, became a nurse. And even with good jobs and good income, you can only live in a certain part of town. Your kids can only go to certain schools. Another little point of fact, the majority of people who are on welfare are not black and brown. The majority of people on welfare are white. See what I mean by the enemy lies? Why does he keep that lie going? So that we stay divided. Keeps us divided on what the real issue is. The real issue is the people of God are called to represent him. But if in the back of our minds we're believing the lie, we won't reach out to somebody who's different because we'll still be filled with animosity and feelings, what's the, what's the phrase? We'll feel some kind of way about them because my taxes are paying your way when that's a lie. God wants us as his people. In fact, as I shared this with this brother, he started to cry. He sat at the table and started tearing up, crying. He said, he said, Chris, this is overwhelming for me to hear that. 
to hear what? To hear that while his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were working hard, my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were turned away. He said, this is overwhelming to hear this. He said, I don't even know how to respond. What should I do? And I said to him, you're doing the one thing that matters. You're listening to me. And you believe me. And he said, you actually just confirmed something that I know. Then he shared how part of his ministry life, he has worked in some of the most uh, heavily poverty-stricken parts of the world. Told us to share with us the story of a woman whose husband was lost in war, and she lost several of her children. And when he sat down and she was talking to him, and he wanted to know, well, what can I do? What can I do? And she said, all I needed was somebody to talk to. He said, you just confirmed what I learned on the other side of the world. And that is most people that are having these types of issues in their life, poverty, racism, segregation, uh, and all of that, most of them, they're not looking for anybody to do anything except believe, listen to me. And believe me when I tell you. Why? Why is that important? Because it restores dignity and respect. It restores dignity and respect. I heard this gentleman say this phrase. It's actually in a TV show. He said, poverty is not the lack of food and water and education and poor housing. That's not what poverty is. Poverty is never having been loved, never ever having been respected. So when you listen to the story of someone who's never been respected or loved or has no dignity, has had their dignity taken away, you're giving them the richest thing you could ever give them. They're not looking for, I know I just grew up in the era, in the era uh, African-Americans weren't looking for a handout, weren't looking for white people to make amends for all of our history. Just when I tell you my story, will you listen to me? Will you believe me? Now, why am I sharing this? Because this is the type of reality that God is calling his church into right now. But we've got to stop believing the propaganda, stop believing the narratives, stop believing the lies. Stop believing them. They're just people. Black, white, Latino, Asian. Do you know that slavery hasn't ended in the world? There's an estimated 40 to 60 million slaves still on the planet today. So slavery is not an issue of the past. It's still present today. And God is calling his church not to, not to picket and draw attention and do all of the fundraisers and all that, to start with this in our own hearts and in our own lives and our own understanding. God, create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. So when I hear about it, 
my heart breaks with what breaks your heart. Otherwise, it'll overwhelm us because we can't deal with all of it. But at least I'm not hardened and indifferent when I hear of these things. Uh, I saw a video clip, and I'll stop. I saw a clip of a young man who got on the stage at a, at a some type of rally, conservative rally, and they allowed this black man to get up on stage in front of all of these white people, and, and he talked about, he said, I don't want any, we don't, we don't want anything from you. Uh, we just want you to listen to us. He, he went into all of that, and by the time he finished, there were many people that came, came to him and hugged him and, and were embracing him. <laughs> and his whole point was, and I believe that's what the Lord is getting at for us in this day and time, is that the enemy has been doing these things to keep us divided and showing us pictures of what's really not happening. That's not where the battle is. It's not between black and white. This is the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness and the call that God has upon us. I remember during that video clip, one woman, because the guy was going through the list of all of the people who, not all of them, but a few of the people who had been killed, shot and killed by the police. He wasn't going through every example, but he named a few. And someone screamed out and said, but they were criminals. And so he said, so you mean to tell me that because a guy was selling, illegally selling cigarettes on the streets of New York, choking him to death was justified? Because that's what that answer just said. That answer just said, but they were criminals. The cops had the right to do that because they were criminals. So you're saying, so you got to think about it. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is so that it adjusts us in our thinking. So you're saying that even though he was illegally selling cigarettes, illegally selling cigarettes, the punishment of death was justified. So when we stop and think about what we're how we're processing and how we're connecting the dots, then you go, no, that was not right. And only thing this young man was trying to say is, that's my point. Don't just go along with the narrative and say, it was okay, they deserved it. And especially as us as believers, I remember I wrote an article and I said, with all of the deaths that we are seeing, and all of the violence that we're seeing, what's most important is that believers understand these are souls. We should never, I heard one, one well-known pastor on television actually say, during these race riots, the cops need to shoot and shoot to kill. And I'm like, what about the souls? How could a pastor say Send them, because that's what I hear as a pastor, send them to hell. That's why we've got to readjust our thinking. Wait a minute, what's really on the line here? Is it about race? No, it's about souls. It's about souls. And even though I don't share the same life experience as you, and I'm not in the same education, and we don't have the same 
economic status and we're not in the same social status, but there are some things that we share in common. And that is we're all souls that God Almighty wants. And even though I don't understand the circumstances of your life, I don't know why you're involved in criminal activity. I don't know why you're on the streets protesting. And I don't know why you're breaking out windows and all of this violent activity. But I do know that you are a soul that the almighty God loves. And that's the compassion he wants inside of us. So that we're not looking at the television screen and going, yeah, yeah, that's what they deserve. I heard a white, white sister, she said, she said, guys, she said, here in my church, when I hear you guys say certain things about drug addicts and people who are violent, you have to understand, those are my brothers. Those are my cousins. So when you use those derogatory terms to describe people who got drug problems or who are in gangs and all that, those are my cousins. Those are my brothers that are on the streets. You guys have forgotten what we're supposed to be about. We don't take the same attitude in the same position as the world. When we hear these things, when we see these things, God wants our hearts moved with compassion. The Bible says Jesus looked at the people and saw them scattered. No shepherd moved with compassion. So come on, let's just pray that right now. Lord, move our hearts with compassion. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to take up an offering and say, let's all raise some funds or let's do something to try to correct all of these issues. No, the first thing always starts in our hearts. God, work in me. <laughs> Your heart, let me see people the way you see people. Yes, Lord, that's right. Just start there. Lord, let me see people the way you see people. Thank you, Lord. I won't see people according to labels and according to classifications and categories. Lord, let me see them the way you see them. Even for the ones who I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why they're so violent. I, I don't know why they're so depressed. I don't know why they're so angry. I don't know their life story. But God, I do know is that you love them the same way you love me. The same way you love my family. I know you love their family. Thank you, Lord. So let there be a move of God, of compassion to sweep through your church, Lord. Even in this moment, if you have been there, just go ahead and confess it before the Lord. Say, Lord, I've been indifferent. I've been so concerned about what I'm going through and what I'm facing that I, I really don't think about these things beyond that. So, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, to see people the way you see them. And now bring it all the way home. Lord, help me to see my family the way you see them. The ones in our family who do have a drug problem, the ones who are addicted. Uh, thank you, Lord. The ones who are alcoholics, the ones who where there is abuse, <laughs> the anger problems, the mental problems the ones in our family that have emotional and mental health problems. God, I don't want to just dismiss them anymore. 
I don't want to just dismiss them anymore. I don't know how to approach them. I don't know. Come on, be honest with God. I don't know how to approach them. I don't know how to deal with them. But God, at least help me to start here to see them the way you see them. Thank you, Lord. I open up my heart to the possibility of you using me to bring healing into their life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If all you want me to do is plant the seed, I'll plant the seed. If you just want me to water where somebody else has planted, then I will water. But we know and trust that you ultimately will give the increase. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is how we'll see revival. Let it begin in my household, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can I tell you that revival is not just going to start from the platform of a pulpit and a stage. Revival is going to start at home. Thank you, Lord. How many of you will just join in with me now and say, Lord, use me throughout this holiday season. Use our family. Thank you, Lord. Just make the commitment. God, if you set up the help me to set up the moment where I can be transparent and real or to spark revival in our household. Lord, I say yes. I say yes and amen. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help me to recognize the moments when they come and when it comes. I'm, I'm saying this to you right now. God's going to give you moments. It may even come before the holidays. <laughs> but when the moment comes, be sensitive and just take it. Seize the moment. This is it. I can now talk. I can now share. Whether it's with a friend, with a coworker with the family member, when the moment comes, don't back away from it. Oh, we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand today. Come on, bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord.